One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it is your mate Bags here. Sonia and I absolutely love putting this podcast together for you. Now, if you are loving what we are doing, we would love a bit of your help, and it's absolutely free. If you listen to us on Apple, make sure you hit the subscribe button or the little plus button at the top of the app. Or if you listen to us on Spotify, hit the follow button. Now, this lets the apps know that you are loving what we are doing, which is so helpful for us. And also, if you can share this podcast with your friends, it helps us get the word out there. We're now heard in 740 cities around the world, which is absolutely wild. And don't forget, while you're there, Make sure you follow our closed Facebook group as well. We feel like we are building a community and we want more people to come and join us. So thanks for listening. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to shine the spotlight on another podcast that you and I saw. We absolutely love this podcast. It is from one of our friends, Michelle Laurie, who we used to work with. The podcast is called Australian True Crime. Yeah, and we love the category of true crime, which is why we're bringing you this as a recommendation. It's just such a fascinating category after, of course, of pop course, culture. Of course, pop culture. <laughs> we absolutely love Michelle. We both worked with Michelle in Melbourne uh, yes. on a radio station together, and she's someone that you and I look up to. She's a mentor totally. for the two of us in our career. We were so blessed to have the chance to work with someone like Michelle. She's mm. funny, charismatic, and she's just so damn smart. I've learned so much from Michelle, and I know you have two bags. Now, we're going to get into a specific episode involving the cold case of Maria Yen. That's right, a Victorian woman who was shockingly murdered. In this episode is part one of the story and you'll hear how police never fully investigated alternative theories surrounding her case. You'll also hear from Maria's son, Jeff, as Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb detail the circumstances surrounding this murder. The producers of this podcast recognised the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming in. Good luck with it. Is the one in all the ones you've dealt with that you particularly like to see sold? I think with a change of legislation, there's one particular one from 2003 that I'd like to, to solve um, from uh, Juliet Crescent in Hillsville. Um, that's one that always comes back to me that, um, yeah, you'd like to think you've done everything that you can, but, um, yeah, that's before I retire. That's one I'd like to solve. Who was the victim? That's Maria Yan. That's Detective Inspector Tim Day who heads up the Homicide Squad for Victoria Police. He was speaking there with Neil Mitchell on 3AW in May 2021 about the launch of their cold case hub. There's a link in our show notes to the hub, which houses profile videos and thorough background notes on dozens of unsolved homicide cases from around the state. The hope is that members of the public will access the hub and contact Victoria Police if and when that content jogs their memories and rattles loose some new information about the crimes. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next.
As we heard a moment ago, for Detective Inspector Tim Day, the 2003 unsolved murder of Hillsville grandmother Maria Yan is of particular interest. He also made it very clear why, when he mentioned more than once the recent changes to the double jeopardy laws in Victoria. In 2011, the Victorian state government passed legislation amending its long-standing double jeopardy laws. Victoria and the ACT were the last Australian states to do so. Before that, it was simply impossible to try anyone twice for the same crime, no matter what. But since then, there's been the opportunity to retry a person for the same crime under certain circumstances. And those circumstances are very clear. There are three key criteria. There must be fresh and compelling DNA evidence where the person acquitted subsequently admits to the crime or where it becomes clear that key witnesses have given false evidence. Also, the DPP is permitted to make just one application for a retrial in relation to any one acquittal. So although a person can now be retried for a crime in Victoria, they can only be retried once. If it fails again, that really is it. As we know, behind every cold case is a family. And 19 years after her shocking murder, Maria Yan's family remains divided. Tensions that were developing in the lead-up to her death were cast in stone during the murder trial in 2008 that resulted in an acquittal. Some family members still believe the acquittal was appropriate and that police never fully investigated alternative theories, while other family members believe it was a terrible miscarriage of justice and continue to pursue a second trial. We'll explore Maria Yan's case over the next two episodes of Australian True Crime, and we begin today with Maria's son, Jeff, and the extraordinary story of her life. Mum's father was um, Italian, born mm. born in Italy. Mum's mother was um, Irish-Scottish. What a combo. So there was... <laughs> Fiery. Yeah, yeah, well, there was, there was a lot to talk about around the family table. Yeah. Well, Mum was um, born in um, northeast Victoria, up near Omeo. Look, they were a big Italian family. There were nine kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Mum was born on the 21st of November in 1933, and then they came to Melbourne as kids, mm-hmm. grew up in Preston in the northern suburbs, where Mum met Dad, who Dad was the local milkman <laughs> and um, yeah, at the time. Mm-hmm. And look, mum and dad were happily married until dad's death in 1984. Mm. Did they have lots of kids? Are there lots of you? Ah, uh, there was just myself and my two sisters. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah mum wanted more, but dad dad was from the German-Swiss <laughs> genetics and he wanted to be a little bit more, um, you know, thoughtful about yeah. forward planning. Practical. Yeah, yeah right. Mum had to be happy with the three of us. Uh-huh. And yes, we moved down to the Mornington Peninsula in the early 70s. And what sort of person, I mean, was she dramatic, like this karma for drama? Was she sort of flamboyant? Look, mum mum was the Scorpio Italian mother, you know. (laughs) So, and yes, but everything about mum was community, family. We as kids were blessed to have really high moral compasses set in us. We had parents that taught us the difference between right and wrong. Mum was over the top with um, being caring towards community and family. She put herself before anybody else. So Dad died in 1984 and they had retired to our family farm in Akron, which is uh, just next to Alexandra. Um, Mum tried to keep the farm for as long as she could, but she was on her own there. 
um, and finally sold it, sold the farm and moved to Healesville. Mm. Um, but I remember, so her sisters moved close to her, didn't they? They were sort yeah, of close-ish. Yeah, um, Deanne was in uh, Yarra Glen, mm. which is only half an hour away, and her other sister, Camilla, was in Healesville. So the three of them were all together again as a family. So mum quickly involved herself in the community. Um, mm. She ran the East End op shop there. Mm. All the money went for living for learning centres. So the house smelt like secondhand clothes for a decade <laughs> because <laughs> mum did all the washing there and yeah. and uh, actually turned the op shop into a boutique. Yeah. And um, she was loved by everybody. She was tireless in her, you know, commitment to helping people out mm. of all persuasions and um, that's the legacy she left with us too. The tight community too in Healesville, Beautiful. very tight. Oh, know. look, well, everybody's aware, of, yeah, everybody's looks out for each other and mum loved that community, you know, and um, she was very happy in Healesville. I was married in 1992 um, where I had two daughters, Esther and Bella, and uh, we lived on the Mornington Peninsula. We were in Mornington. My oldest sister, Rhonda, who lives on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, she's got two kids, been married to Maury for many, many years. Um, my younger sister, Pauline, who was married to James, mm-hmm. um, Divorced him, well, separated from him at the time of mum's death, and um, she's since repartnered, and she's been happily um, repartnered with her partner Dominic. So Pauline never had children, yeah, but Rhonda and I both had two, and uh, and your mum was very involved, grandma. Oh, not yeah. Well, she was the nonna from <laughs> nonna. Yeah, 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 yeah. Loved to be referred to as nonna. Yeah. Unfortunately, she wasn't around long enough to be able to um, enjoy. All. Esther and Bella were seven and nine when mum mum was killed. Yeah. So they were just young kids, as were Renee and Milan, my older sister's children. Mm. So they were very young. So can we talk about Pauline's uh, marriage? Yeah. Her relationship with James? James came out from Nigeria in the late 70s. He was basically financed by his family to come to Australia um, to study, apparently. Again, that wasn't my interpretation. Um, they met at a local bar, restaurant in Frankston back in the early 80s. They met through a friend, totally dysfunctional from day one. And look, I'm, I'm aware and mindful that my sister's not here to speak for herself, but look, as a brother, I was, you know, witness to a long dysfunctional relationship. Mm-hmm. But my parents taught us children, you know, to hold on to our marriages and to work hard. Yes. So if I have to say one thing on behalf of my both my sisters, especially Pauline. She tried her darndest in a really difficult situation 
to hold true to those values that mum and dad taught us. I think our parents would still say that. That's mm, right. Would still say people throw away marriages too easily that's these right. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't work on them. They don't work through them. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so we were mindful of, of those values and um, she worked very hard to keep a really difficult uh, relationship alive. There were so many um, challenges and I'll just get one thing straight. In our family, we were proud to have cultural yep. integration. We were proud. We used to even joke at the Christmas table that it was like the United Nations table. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I want to really make that clear. Yes. That we were proud to have that diversity in our family. Well, as you say, I mean, your parents are um, coming from. Where were they? Scotland, Ireland, and, and... And Italy. And Italy. And Dad was German-Swiss. Yeah, right. Th- that's quite a cultural cross-section, even though everyone's white, ostensibly. Yep. It is actually a very different cultural cross-section, particularly coming out of World War II and all those oh, things. Oh, all of that. That's so, right. So, yeah, James himself said later that when, when there were problems in the relationship, your mum, Maria, yep. oftentimes supported him. Mum, well... He in, made that in point true himself. style, yeah. in true, and Mum was the strongest advocate of keeping the marriage together. And he said that he called her Mum. Oh, absolutely. And that she oftentimes yeah. supported him totally. um, when they were struggling with their relationship. That's right. And look, in hindsight, you look back and go, "Well, there was actually a, a potential problem here because it was almost a three-way relationship." Right. Oh. And there was a, a element of manipulation in that relationship that was not healthy at all. These people skills, the manipulation, and that's what it is. It's 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 survival and manipulation. My my older sister Rhonda and I could both see it, mm. um, but I'm sure that's a natural element of any family relationship too. You've got people and emotions, but. Yeah, look, you could tell that this one was this one was very very challenging. And um, look, he had two children to two other women while he was married to my sister during their relationship. During their relationship, and that and I don't want to start a gossip line, mm-hmm. but they are elements that make a relationship very very difficult. Yep, and that was the tip of the iceberg. There was a lot for my younger sister to, to deal with. That sort of um, indicates the level of scope in that relationship and because um, they were together for 20 years and, and you hear about those relationships that have abuse in them, that they're almost subliminal, you know, and people can't recognise abuse if it happens for such a prolonged time that I think people, I think I think my sister just lost all sense of balance of um, what was morally right and wrong. And I feel for her because she tried very, very hard. She went above and beyond to to make this thing work. But he was, he knew exactly what he wanted in this relationship and it was all for him. Was he alone here in terms of family? Pretty much. um, There was a small African community. Yeah. Very, very small back in those days. Yeah. 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 Right. So, so that would also account for how he, you know, became so close to your mum, because I'm imagining she was a very maternal person. Plus, um, it really, it really, um, pressed a, a, some real um emotional buttons of mum because 
Mum grew up in a um, commission home in in yeah. Preston, and they were the poor Italians. Yes, and so she had such empathy for any struggling migrant. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, as all of our families still do. We we take into consideration people's struggle. And I think it's a lovely, compassionate value to have. Mm. But mum was over the top in that department because she she suffered her own challenges as an Italian child back in the 50s. Yeah. And, um, and James knew that he could ring that bell at any time with mum. Jeff, do you remember what it, what it was like when you first met James? Like did you you know, when Pauline first introduced him to your family? Well, look, of course, I was happy to embrace anyone that my sister had in her life. So it, it was it was in my DNA to you know to be supportive mm. of, of her relationship. We had our differences, um, but it was really important for me to keep a relationship with my sister. So yeah. I overlooked, and um, I knew I knew how to balance it. My older sister Rhonda was a little bit more cutthroat, <laughs> you know. She That's women for you. She said exactly yep. what she thought, and yep. so her relationship with James was not like mine. Yeah, she would not tolerate a lot of his behaviours. It was important for me to nurture that my relationship with my sister. So, so I had to act accordingly. It's so difficult, isn't it? Well, it is, but that's human relationships. It isn't is, it? yeah. Well, you know? that balance of wanting to protect your sister but also having that boundary of, like, interfering. It's that not well, interfering. It's yeah. that kind of weird That's thing. the balance, isn't it? Yeah. When a sibling's married to somebody who you don't like, to put it mildly, or you're worried about their relationship, but yeah. but they're still in it. So I yeah. guess they they were off and on, Pauline and James, off constantly? And off and on, and the, the little um, triangle of that they'd set up with mum. Mum, yeah. So I'd be on the receiving end. I'd get the phone calls, Jeff, please go around to Pauline and James. Oh, no. You know, and that was for 20 years. So Mm. I I realised I I knew how to actually pace that in the end Mm. and I could see it for what it was. It was cause and response and it was all this emotional manipulation but, as a big brother, I always wanted to keep an eye out for my sister as well. And you're going to do it for your mum. I'm going yeah. to do it. Well, I'm going to do it for me and I'm going to do it for the family. Yeah. And that's what that's what I did. So by September 2003, what was the state of play in their relationship? It had, it was come, drawing to an end. Uh, you could, the writing was on the wall. Okay, really, really and truly was ending. It really, truly was ending. Um, Pauline had had enough. She'd actually met another man and things were getting very tense in the house and the game changer was mum called me and said, Jeff, please, I'm really worried about Pauline. And I said, mum, we've done this before. She goes, Jeff, this is different. And again, mum knew what buttons to press with me. She goes, the last time I was at the house, and it was our old family house that we all grew up in that Pauline and James were living in, Mm -hmm. Mum said, the last time I was in the house, 
he violently manhandled me and pushed me out of the out of the house. Nonna. And she knew exactly that that would rattle my bones. Absolutely. Because how old was she at this stage? Uh, Mum was, well, it was only um, a few months before she died. Mm. So she was 68. Yeah, goodness me. But Mum knew that I'd respond to her being violently ousted out of the home. Yeah. So I went to the home, our old family home, but I knew that it was getting very tense there. So I walked up the driveway and it's just in my makeup that I looked around the house. I could see a white square mouth shovel in the carport, you know, like I'm not a fighter, so I needed to look at things, you know. Mm. And I walked up into the patio area where I looked into the kitchen and I saw James and I know him very, very well and I saw him bent over and I thought, oh, he's hurt his back. So I knocked on the door and he he had anticipated me coming by, I'm sure. Well, I know. And um, he came to the back door and I said, look, I don't care what you and Pauline are going through right now. I've had enough. But And I just got my index finger and I poked him on the chest twice. I said, but don't you ever manhandle mum again. And at that point, he pulled out probably a 12-inch skilleting knife and um, I was in complete shock and I could see why he was actually bent over because this thing was down the side of his pants. And then there was that struggle of um, he was trying to knife me and I saw a look in his eye that I haven't seen before and um, it was such a heated moment. Um, And then Pauline actually came running down from the backyard and screamed out, what are you doing? And she actually grabbed James by the wrist, which gave me enough time to step back three steps to pick up the shovel. Good Lord. So he he um, held Pauline and they rushed back inside and locked the door. And I, I've just immediately rung the, the Frankston police. Yes, for sure. And uh, there was a SWAT team down in probably 15, 20 minutes. So there was a standoff for probably about an hour. Um, and I spoke to the sergeant in charge and just explained what had happened. He went inside, spoke with James and Pauline, and then the sergeant came out and shook his head and said, look, Jeff, this often happens in situations like this, but they said there was no knife and, in fact, you were the aggressor. No. And um, so that that was my first experience with what is this? This, you yes. know, like, like, what is this? So, and I, I, I still, obviously, you know, have a lot of difficulty in trying to rationalise what that was, where my sister did not come up with the truth. Nineteen years later, I've had enough time to actually understand what denial is as a coping mechanism to survive. For sure, you know. Yeah. So I get that. She later did in a statement say that there was a knife. And when I got home that evening, he James rang me and said, if you ever come up my driveway again, I will kill you. 
Four weeks later, Mum was dead. Hi, Michelle and Emily. Um, I probably should have said my name or number or something like that. <laughs> oh, so my name's Jennifer. Thanks so much for taking the time to leave us a voice message. We really appreciate it. And thanks for realising that we love it when you mention your name too. Hey, guys. Um, my name is Alex. Oh, well done, Alex. We receive your email address when you leave a message so we can always get back to you. Hi, Emily and Michelle. It's Robin here. Hi, Robin. But, of course, we love to be able to acknowledge you easily on the show with your name. And, hey, if you're shy, you can always just make up a name. Thank you. Worried mum in Adelaide. We love hearing your voice messages and we reply to them on a special show available exclusively to our Australian True Crime Plus members. Hey, Australian True Crime. It's Carla from Sydney. Oh, Carla, why do I think an early morning Uber from your home to the airport is in my future? Hi, this is Rachel. You'll find links to leave a voicemail and to join up to Australian True Crime Plus in the show notes to this episode. Hello, my name's Sally. Or you can swing by and visit us at Apple Podcasts. Just please don't forget to say your name. Hi, I'm Megan. Great job, Megan. Say your name, guys. And thank you so much for supporting Australian True Crime. The gardener arrived and he just yelled out, hello, I'm here, and he started doing a bit of gardening. Then he went inside to ask mum for confirmation on where to plant some roses or something, and he walked through the back door. Because it was open, is that right? Yeah, it was open. Mm. Um, He'd walked through the back door, um, and it's a little bit difficult to adjust to the light from when you've walked outside into the lounge room. And you could see mum sitting on the chair in front of the telly. The telly was still on, um, even though it was just low. And it wasn't until he took a few steps forward to see the full extent that mum was dead, obviously. And just as he discovered her, another friend was coming through the back door and they both called the police at that stage. Mum had been bludgeoned to death. She had been struck. 22 times on the head. Um, Again, I've had almost 19 years to evaluate, and you do. As a son or as anybody, you you look at the forensic value of how your mother died. Mm -hmm. There was not one wound below her right ear. Her right earlobe was severed, Mm -hmm. but the 22 direct wounds were right on the top of her head. And... To me, that tells me somebody's proficient with a with a weapon. It always interested me the fact that if it had been Mad Harry from out the back, I would have imagined there'd be wounds mm. everywhere. And it would maybe suggest as well someone who could be very familiar. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, with how someone lives in their house. Of, of, well, Interesting you say yeah, that because yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a few yeah. things, yeah. aren't there? Yeah. Jeff, yeah. There's like um, the fact that she was sitting in a certain chair and that the fire, it looked like the fire was about to be lit. Yeah. There were a few things that Rhonda noticed and these are the sorts of things that only family members notice because they know people's routines so well about she never sat in that chair to watch telly. She only sat in that, that chair to when, talk when to visitors. A, that's right. Tell and, us about and those And Monday things. night was her favourite night because she'd always watch Australian Story. Mm-hmm. Bang, she'd sit right in front of the telly and watch Australian Story, um, put the fire on because it was still chilly up yeah. there at that time. Yeah, very. So for mum not to be sitting in that, recliner mm. to be sitting in the club chair. So she wasn't in the telly chair on her favourite telly night. Was it on the ABC, the TV? And yeah, all that? yeah, yeah. It, it was on the, the right o- channel. So it was on the right channel. But the volume was down. Volume was down, which indicates she was probably having a conversation. Mm. Um, and there was no sign of forced entry. No sign of forced entry. First thing I thought is, who the hell would have killed – who would kill mum? I remember driving with Tim Day in his car and um, I just looked at Tim and I said, Tim – because I, I could not comprehend that somebody would want to kill mum, mm. you know, like yeah. who, you know. And I, I said to Tim, I said, Tim, do you believe everyone is capable of murder? And he said, yes, Jeff, I do. Yeah. And I thought that was quite – Terrifying. Well, you know, because I, I, it hadn't entered ever entered my, you know, DNA. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I was, I was in shock and overwhelmed that somebody could kill Mum. And um, the last person I would think about would be a member of the family. But as Tim Day said, in murders of this dimension, it's usually somebody in the family. You know, it's usually either the son or the gardener, and I was both. Oh, you know? my God, right. <laughs> yeah, God. So I can look at it with that, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. But you know what I mean? It's somebody very, very close. Yeah. So, look, I was a person of um, interest mm-hmm. in the early days, as you would expect, mm-hmm. but like any any case, they throw the net. I remember when I was at work and I got the phone call from my older sister, Rhonda, who said, Jeff, get to the Hillsville Police Station. Mum has been killed. Oh, my God. And, I, and as I was driving, I was thinking, what What did that mean? Mum has been killed. What, she's been in a car accident? Mm. Or I, I couldn't comprehend what, what mum has. So I got to the um, Hillsville Police Station and I went to the front desk and a young um, constable came and I said, hello, I'm Jeff Yan." And he, I could see he was visibly startled by my presence and he just disappeared and I was really anxious to know what happened to mum. Of course. And he didn't come back for maybe I was, I know that I was anxious and um, I thought, oh, bugger it, the house is just up the road. So I jumped in the car and drove towards mum's house. I wanted to know what happened to mum. Yeah. So I've gone to the entrance of Juliet Crescent and, of course, it was taped off with police tape mm. and I, and mum's house is right on the corner and I could see that there was a lot of activity up there and um, 
the police at the bottom said, sorry, you can't go up there. And I thought, what What do you mean? I'm Maria's son. I can't go up there. So I backtrailed and went up the back road and actually drove into the driveway. <gasps> and, Local uh, knowledge. Yeah. Well, wow. it's my mum. Yeah. I want to know what's going on. Yeah. And then another, then a homicide detective came out and asked who I was, and I told him. He escorted me back to the police station and um, said, "I can't go in there for obvious reasons." Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, I was interviewed by Ron Eddles. The first thing he said was, "We know it was you." Oh, bless him! Oh no. Yeah, yeah, Ron. yeah, yeah. Like in yeah. true Ron style. Yeah. Um, He's got to throw it out there. Mm. And um, he gave me a scenario of why he thought it was me. And I just sat there and uh, when he finished, I said, well, thank you, Ron. I said, I hope you scrutinise everybody to the degree that you've just scrutinised me. But in fact, and then I told him exactly where I was at the time. Can't believe you just even now speaking so highly of him. Oh, when look, you've just found out your mother's been murdered, and yeah. I mean, I love him, don't yeah, get me yeah, wrong, yeah, but yeah, yeah. he's never sat across from me and said, right, Michelle, I know you've done it. Yeah. That's extraordinary. Well, when you when you think about it, that's probably I mean, I get it now, the method of operation, it isn't is it? It is his yeah, method yeah, of operation, yeah, but yeah. I've heard this kind of ab- from an ab- abstract perspective, but I've never heard anyone tell me this themselves. That well, it was the first time for me. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. he said that to you that morning. And I even, I did, I, well, when you, when you know that you were at dinner with 10 other people and it's on CCTV. Did you want to punch him in the face? No, I didn't. I wanted to thank him because I wanted him to be that thorough with everybody. Really? And I, I that. Gosh, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. You're amazing. Yeah, so I, I did. I actually thanked him mm. for scrutinising me to that degree and hoped that he'd apply that same scrutiny to everybody else. Which, of course, he does. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I had to identify mum's body. Did you? And so, well, I had to on the sun. But it was interesting. They even had two detectives with me, mm. and I know now it was to – to judge how I reacted off oh. it because there were still no charges and there were still pe- – we were all still persons of interest. Yes. So homicide had hoped there'd be a um, a lead in the first few days because that's when that's when the, the crime scene's hot. But it, it turned into a, to a protracted case where it, it involved time. Mm. We, we didn't get a result in a week or two weeks or three weeks. And this thing was turning into a different beast um, over time. So, no, I didn't. I did not even flash on mm. anyone. The the shock and um, it being so overwhelming. The normal person doesn't go straight to their immediate family. Who would, in their right mind, would think it's the no. immediate family? No. And I was in. Fact, sitting on the veranda with Frank Chen, who you'll be speaking with later on, he'll be too humble to tell you the story that I've I've got in my mind. Righto. Frank stood over Mum's coffin and said, "Maria, I will get retribution for you." And he proceeded to do a seven-year law course, got his LLB, and um, he, with a professor of law were actually instrumental in um, creating the double jeopardy law mm. that has been a result of mum's crime. Yeah. 
Frank and I were just doing the, we were a process of elimination because he's got a great mind and um, I've got a great imagination. Mm. So the two of us together, <laughs> um, it made sense, you know, like a few weeks before he, he had attacked me with a knife. Like we were asking each other, who do we know that's capable of doing this stuff? Nobody until, uh, hang on, and then all of a sudden we we did nut this thing together with what other people were saying to us and uh, the penny just dropped and we just looked at each other in silence. And did you take that to Ron and his team or did they bring it to you? Um, look, I can't fully re- remember the, the point of um, impact, but um, we definitely were having open discussions with homicide for a long time. There's so much to cover, as you could imagine, but the police have got their evidence that suggests that James did a dummy run the Monday before. Mm. Um, There was evidence that with the phone towers that placed James in Juliet Crescent on that Monday, there was so much frustrating evidence that was just... Still, to this day, it was the strangest trial I've ever. Well, that's it. We're not just you're not just throwing James's name in the hat for no reason. He was charged. He was charged. And it went all the way. Went all the way to trial. Well, look, it was um, interesting. Um, None of us in our family had been ever exposed to anything like this. We started off at the Supreme Court in Melbourne. Um, Betty King, obviously the presiding judge, but. It's, again, it, it was my interpretation, but the the underbelly um, yes trials uh, trials were on, mm. and it just really seemed like the priority was not mum. Initially, we'd have reporters and people really interested on in what was happening in mum's case. By the time we were transferred to Geelong Supreme Court, there was not one camera in sight. Basically, we all knew that we'd just been swept under the under the rug. You know what else was just awful was um, I read the comments by the judge who said just before the verdict was read. Yep. She actually made the statement, we cannot show any emotion. This is, this is um, nobody's won or nobody's lost anything here. You cannot display any emotion. And I... You know, after years of this court case, um, it was a very odd statement to read out to a grieving family. Before the You know, and look, I remember we all stood holding hands, Mm. you know, and it was was something I will never forget and there was no human compassion associated to that statement whatsoever. Did you have a sense of what the verdict was going to be? Look, it was a really difficult situation. James had elected not to say anything. So he sat up the back silent. It was touch and go the whole time. We, of course, in our heart of hearts, knew what we wanted the verdict to be. And um, and the verdict, when it came, was? Was um, acquittal through insufficient evidence. On all counts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever, was there ever an inquest? Were there ever? There was an inquest. Were there any other persons of interest? No, the inquest, um, and they were just about to release their findings when James was actually arrested. Right. um, Because he was arrested 
on a number of um, levels. First, there was a um, a woman, Andrea King, who he had admitted confessed to. Oh wow, who is she now? Andrea King. She's uh, she was just a friend of oh. James, and even that experience was um, I'll never forget. So, yeah, Ron Edels rang my sister Rhonda and just said, yep, you know, we've got a case now that we've got a, we've got a witness that he's actually confessed to. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember sitting in the courtroom watching Andrea give her statement and um, she said, James was talking to me and said, I've, I've murdered this old woman. And she said his left leg started tapping up and down nervously, and that was an observation she made. And to me, I know it might seem petty to anybody else, but I know him very, very well over two decades. And when I've ever had conversations with him and he's been really, really rattled, that leg would just start tapping, and I just got goosebumps, you know? Yeah. Because you through the whole through that whole court case you know i wish it had been somebody else rather than my ex-brother-in-law because the ramifications of that emotional challenge is you know as i said it it, it shocked a community and shattered a family you know mm-hmm. and it does we all would have preferred you know the assailant to have been just some mad unit from out in the bush but yep. My family know that that's not what it is. All this content that we felt so frustrated that um, the, the jury the jury never got to hear any yeah. any of this. I'm driving to work one day and a, and a mate rings me. He goes, Jeff, listen to Sly of the Underworld, who's John Sylvester. The mm, we're um, big fans of Sly yeah, of the yeah, Underworld. Yeah, yes. yeah. I go. I said, what? He goes, just put it on. And so I've put it on. And here's John Sylvester. He's rung up Baba, the witch doctor in Nigeria, and had him on national radio. God. And yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so Sly the Underworld is questioning Baba, the um, the witch doctor, who James had got to scare Mum, and to and so Baba, the witch doctor, had been in um, touch with Mum, saying that he's going to put a curse on her. Oh. And everybody, are, you know, like so yeah. he had been um, intimidating your mum. Oh, absolutely! Your mum had been telling me. She goes, in the end, after after the knife attack incident, I think mum was hesitant to load too much on me because, but it had really stepped up in its in the violence. Because what did he want from your mum by that stage? I mean, prior to well, that, he, it well, was he all... wa- he wanted he wanted um, support again. That whole triangle emotional triangle mum was so important in in keeping the marriage together yeah but mum actually got to a point where um she said i can't support you anymore james in fact pauline said to james james my life with you has been hell she said all i want to do is spend some time with my mother and James said to her, you don't know what hell is. I'll show you hell. Oh, and no. four days later, mum was dead. And a lot of it is to, you know, 
to use the old expression, the vibe. And it's hard to to explain and to share the vibe of what's happening with anyone, let alone with a jury, to explain that for all these years, Maria's relationship with James was this, was that she was sort of on his side for well, one of very the very supportive for yeah. the whole marriage. Yeah, for yeah, the whole marriage. Yeah, she was yeah. supportive of the yeah. marriage. She was yeah. the one saying, come on, you got to work it out, you got to stick together, you got to work it through. And But by this stage, she was, even she was saying, that's r- nah, enough I'm is, not, yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah, I'm not backing you yeah. anymore, James. Well, it had become so obvious yeah. at the end of that, the co- it had run its course yeah. and it had become so obvious that it was so unhealthy that there was a violence um, ingredient to it that was not healthy at all. Because we know, and again, you know, we know that something else that wasn't talked about at the time and we know that the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship is when the woman is leaving. That's right. And at that time that wasn't That's right. something that was uh, yep. really understood. Yep. And look, I, I, I don't know whether this is appropriate, but... I look at mum's death as not a murder but almost an execution, you know. Yeah. She was killed in the first or second blow. Yeah. Um, to me it was so premeditated and, yeah. we've, and we as a family saw all the evidence that the police compiled prior to the trial mm. and it was it was just so obvious to us yeah. that um, this was such a premeditated action that, mm. uh, yeah, went beyond a murder. It was, to me, more like an execution. If I have to say anything, I'm happy that mum went quick. Yeah, of That course. there wasn't that suffering, you know. Mm. Um, but as James said to Pauline, you ever play off on me, I will kill you, but I'll make it quick, you know, and that's on file for what, what, what he's – and, you know, nice people in your family don't say stuff like that, no. you know. No. There's something – clear and precise here. Mm. It's only human, it's only normal to to view the justice system and and look at gaps and holes, but that serves no purpose. It, it is what it is. And again, s- strange days that here we are 19 years later with Tim having made that comment. Now tell us about this radio interview. Did you hear it yourself? No, no, no. So... I was working as I do. I don't have my phone on me because I work with machinery. And um, But when I did check my phone, it was just like an alarm bell, ding, 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 ding. Everyone rang to Everyone say, did you rang, hear that? Did you hear that? So there, it was um, in May last year where Neil Mitchell was interviewing Tim. He had just come back from his tour overseas mm-hmm. and he had established uh, a website that was uh, a cold case hub. That's right, oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. The segment was nearly over and um, the last question Neil Mitchell put to Tim Day was, Tim, out of your 20 years, is there one case that comes to mind? And um, straight off the bat, he just said, Hillsville, 2003, Juliet Crescent, he he just rattled it straight off and um, he said that case is very important to me. And Neil Mitchell said, can I ask who it was? And he said, yes, it was Maria Yan. Tim then said to Neil that he believes that Maria's case 
is solvable and he would like to solve it while he's still with the police force. And that was just music to our ears, to say the least. Well, tell us about the moment when you rang the first person back to say, what? Why is everyone ringing me? And they sort of told you their version of that conversation. Well, it was my older sister, Rhonda, who lives in Queensland. She said, you need to look at the um, the interview on, on Facebook that Auntie D has posted on Facebook. Oh. And then she said, ring me back. And so I of course, went straight to it. When I heard those words, all I could do was ring my sister back and we just had a good old sob over the phone because it was just so overwhelming to hear something of that proportion. How long do you think it had been since you'd heard your mum's name and the and the details in the case spoken about like that? Oh, not not since 2008 when we God. had the had the trial yeah. really yeah. we've had conversations you know over the years we have conversations tim and ron would always say happy you know merry christmas every year yeah. and just keep keep in touch but there was nothing ever substantial with um we always kept the the fire burning but we got on with life too because we understood it was a long, long journey. I hoped, I hoped and prayed like everybody else that we could get something out of this journey that we've all had. And look, I suppose Esther, my oldest daughter, was the first one. One thing she was studying criminology, you know, she said, Dad, you've got to, um, you know, have a look at these podcasts because that's the new platform for um you know, the mm. media, and I don't even have a computer, so I was totally reliant on her IT. <laughs> and um, so she first was in touch with um, David Murray, who's the senior crime reporter for The Australian. Mm. Esther actually made the contact and um, I contacted David, but that was three years ago, I think. You know, my family's talking with you guys, which is a wonderful opportunity to keep the conversation going mm. um, because it only takes one person who might have heard something. Yeah. And that's what I was saying with Caitlin too. You know, if one person has got any snippet of information, mm-hmm. um, at least we've got Crime Stoppers. And how's your relationship with Pauline? Like how's the family healed, for want of a better word, got lived beyond this, survived this? Look, I think we've done extremely well as a family. Pauline and I and my sister Rhonda have had our moments. Rhonda and I have been solid as, Mm -hmm. um, but I can understand Pauline's journey is different than ours. Of course it is. She was married to this guy. And we have really tried, well, we don't have to try, it's in our DNA to love our family. And I will always give support to my sisters and I won't stop supporting her. You're you're really right when you were describing about how Maria's case seemed to get swept under the carpet because I was working at leader newspapers at that time at like Lilydale and Yarra Valley Leader and Free Press and I actually didn't know that much. I know the court reporters were filing the copy, but there was that that um, front page um, for the leader. It had tears for Maria yep, after the yes. ver- you know. And I remember yeah, thinking, yeah. 
I don't even know that much, but the community, it was big in the local community. It was huge. Yeah, yeah it was it was huge, Emily. And um, the um, church was to such capacity that they had to put chairs in the back garden. And um, even street people, you know, that mm. mum had helped over the years, this one homeless man came up and said, look, I just want to make the, you know, the acknowledgement that Maria was a beautiful person. There was acknowledgement from just every level of society and um, it was, it was, it was just overwhelming. Is he still uh, still in Australia? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. He murdered our mum in such a brutal way. He performed evil and just walked away. Our beautiful mum, it's with us every day. Justice is a frame of mind bought and sold to keep us blind. He murdered our mum, so loved, so kind. Your birthday tomorrow and you're not here. Your death to us is very clear. He murdered our mum, nothing to fear. Evil doesn't shed a tear. He murdered our mum, but we still live with the love in our hearts so we may give. This truly sets us free. Evil is doomed never to be. to our guest Jeff Yan. Next week we'll continue to look at the cold case of his mother Maria Yan. Maria was murdered in her home in Juliet Court in Healesville in Victoria on the 29th of September 2003. Police are urging anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers on 1800 000 or submit a confidential crime report at crimestoppersvic.com.au. We've got all of that information in our show notes and on our Facebook page. Next week, we'll hear from family friend Frank Chen, who's gone to extraordinary lengths to honour Maria's memory and right what he sees is a terrible wrong. And from Maria's granddaughter, Esther. This case has, I love my family, we're super strong, but at the same time, it's done a lot of damage. And on a good day, we look normal and we're celebrating and we're happy, but on a bad day, it has left its mark. That's next week on Australian True Crime, recorded at The Hub Australia. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.